I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. But with independence comes a lot of work and very little security. I rely entirely on donors and patrons, so individuals like you, to support my work so that I can continue to do what I do. If you appreciate and enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here at The Same Drugs, please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy, where you get early access to episodes and exclusive access to select content. And you also get to do things like DM me and ask me questions about anything. I will answer, I promise. And if you have questions for future interviewees, I offer patrons the opportunity to submit questions for me to ask them ahead of time. It also just helps me to continue to do this work independently. You can also subscribe to The Same Drugs on Substack, which I love, meganmurphy.substack.com. That's where I'm producing most of my work these days. Or you can support this podcast directly on Spotify by clicking the support button on The Same Drugs podcast page. You can also learn more about my work and donate to support it. Again, I really appreciate it at meganmurphy.ca. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm. Today on the show, I am speaking to one of my favorite return guests, Jonathan Kay, a Canadian journalist, author, and editor of Quillette. Thank you for joining me on The Same Drugs yet again. I feel like it's been a long time. I feel like it's been a year or something. I think it has been a long time. Yeah. 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 And in the meantime, you've been uh, playing disc golf around the world? Uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, I I think there's a lot of hobbies that people have that they're just like, okay, when the pandemic, pandemic is over, this is weird, I'm going to stop doing it. Like, I think some people had relationships like that. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly... <laughs> I had a sports car like that that I promised my family I'd give... I'd sell when the pandemic ended, and I did. Uh, it was like a midlife crisis car, and and then the the crisis mysteriously ended as soon as the pandemic was over. <laughs> <Is that what laughs> yes. um, all that ivermectin cured my crisis. So I, but disc golf it killed all the worms in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> but you would think disc golf is exactly the kind of goofy thing that you would think. Well, okay, as soon as the pandemic's over and you're allowed to do like real sports, like. I don't know, go to the gym or play tennis or something, you'd stop playing disc golf. But I didn't. I And, and not only did I continue playing disc golf, I even included disc golf turfily into my journalism because I actually wrote an article about um, trans women in disc golf. Um, you know what? I heard about that. Somebody yeah. messaged me about this... Uh, trans ideology infiltrating we know that it's been infiltrating sport but we didn't know that it would infil- infiltrate disc golf it which is not like under. a super <laughs> no offense or anything but it's not like the most popular no so that's the weird sport. thing okay so um 
one thing that's very odd about uh i would i would say the problem of of fairness in female sport is that yes when leah thomas um made a mess at the ncaa swimming championships the whole world knew about it because swimming is a high profile at least you know at the level of high level collegiate sports or the, the olympics certainly people care about who the fastest swimmer in the world is but then you've got all these other sports and obviously disc golf is an example but like i just got a message today about like a sport that may be even nerdier than disc golf if that's possible which is pickleball have you ever seen pickleball oh yeah, yeah, you know, pickleball, it's, it's so sport. strange because it totally just blew up and yeah. it seemed like almost oh, yeah. out of nowhere. And I had actually heard about it yeah. a f at least a few years ago. And I was like, that's a really dumb name for a sport. It's and a then I didn't hear about yeah. it for so however, long and now it's everywhere. Like, However, I did for like a period of three days, I convinced my my 10-year-old that you play pickleball with a pickle instead of a ball. And she believed me. Yeah. So I mean that would make sense. <laughs> it totally makes sense. Um, <laughs> however, uh, as goofy a sport as it is, uh, there is there's this biological man who identifies as a woman, who's you know dominating tournaments because you know men are like our gods on earth, right? So that is <laughs> <laughs> well, and I bet there's not that many women in pickleball. Oh, there are. Oh. So that's a are common, there? Okay. Common, well, look. So I haven't played a lot of pickleball, but just before you started taping, I was talking about how, how I was in Mexico, but I was far from you. Mm -hmm. um, your fans know you're in Mexico, right? Like you don't pretend, yes. You don't yes, pretend to be. Yes, they know where I am. Okay. <laughs> to no, pretend but, to be in Vancouver, yeah, but like tanned like, and sweaty. <laughs> no, I thought it'd be the sort of thing where you have like a poster of the Vancouver skyline behind you. And it's like, <laughs> totally. Where is that rooster coming from? <laughs> um, but, but the place I was staying at had like eight pickleball courts. And it was super popular. Um, and yeah, and at least at least half the players were women. Uh, oh, it's, okay. Well, it's a sport. It's kind of like tennis. It's it's like uh, kind of like disc golf, actually. Like kids can play, older people can play. And, and unfortunately, it's, um, as, as I said, some of the sports where fairness has become an issue uh, are, you know, cycling is yeah. a huge issue, uh, especially like some of the mountain bike <clears throat> competitions. I don't know why, but it seems to attract a lot of like sort of the, the Laurel Hubbard phenomenon where some dude who's like 40 or 50 decides he's going to like go to the Olympics and compete against 22 year old actual women. Um, it is interesting yeah. that it's gotten it's gotten into cycling like a lot because I feel like routinely I'm hearing about men winning women's yeah. cycling competitions. Yeah. And like you say, like pretty mediocre, like older-ish you know like not athlete aged <laughs> like oh no no i mean well obviously this is weightlifting but uh i mean one of the reasons the hubbard scandal was so huge this is the new zealand biologically male female identified weightlifter who who went to the olympics and i think if i remember correctly failed all three lifts um was was hubbard if either late 40s or early 50s and there was another crazy thing this is at an american college where I don't know if you saw this, there was an assistant coach on the women's basketball team, 51 years old, like six foot six, you know, he, he looked really tall. And he started playing games with uh, players, I guess, close to a third his age. Um, 
you know, because they were actual students at the school. <laughs> and so, you know, stu college students, if they're fresh freshmen or fresh women, be, you know, like 18 years old. So <laughs> he's like 33 years older than these people. And he's playing on the team. How did he get away with this? Like, how come he could play if he wasn't a student, even never mind a middle-aged man? You know what? It's you're gonna have to use the Google. But but the photos are fake. You've you've probably seen photos. I of think this, I this I think I have seen those photos. Because yeah, the photos like, are more... he's a giant man yeah, standing. Yeah. So you see all these little... these women who are you know typical, even tall women on a, on a college basketball right. team. Unless it's like <laughs> you know a, a world-class basketball. You know they might be. 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet, but, and this guy is, is way taller. So the photos become very famous. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it would be one thing if they were like 22, but if you're, if you're like my age, there's a certain sort of shamelessness that... I mean, that's the thing we, we always ask ourselves, like putting aside all the like issues of, you know, politics and, and the rules committee and testing for how much testosterone you have in your blood... Like you often just feel like asking these people, like, have you no shame? Like, yes. like if you're not embarrassed by this, is there anything in life that you would find embarrassing? Um, that that you would do this and you and you would stand on a podium and everyone's watching. Um, and some of these cyclists, like they're actually wearing bicycle shorts. So the whole world can see like their legs are as big as tree trunks. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's, it's a psychological phenomenon as well as being a physical phenomenon. Yeah, the have you no shame part is something I think about often and have, have talked about a little bit before, which is, yeah, because it's like, I feel like a normal person would feel embarrassed by that, by being, you know, like a 45-year-old man who just decides he wants to play on the right. girls' basketball team and he's going to stand there and pose for photos, this giant, towering, obvious male and not feel ridiculous. But it's kind of like an Adam Sandler movie in some respects, like, where, <laughs> or, or like, you know, back to school, which is this ancient movie. <laughs> um, like it is kind of like this goofball thing for like, I don't know, a Will Ferrell movie where you yeah. see Hollywood guys around a table. It's like, okay, get this. Will Ferrell is going to inherit money from his uncle. Who's a basketball fan, but the will states that he's only <laughs> going to get the money if he plays on a college basketball team. So Will Ferrell is so desperate that he enrolls in a ladies' college and get this, he plays on the basketball team. Like that's kind of the level of sort of detachment from reality you expect, right? Like it's a, a totally. stupid, stupid Hollywood movie. Um, and, and by the way, when I, was, I, when I was younger, like people made movies like this. Like yeah. to a certain extent, like Tootsie and Casual Fall, uh, <clears throat> like, like traditional comedy is based to some extent on this well and of... like some like it hot is like two guys right it's some like it hot right those two with these two guys try to disguise themselves as as women because i don't know do you remember the movie no i don't oh you um, should remember it you're older than me i know but i assumed you were talking about porn because like, <laughs> sorry I, you know that old classic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, no, because I, I was like, I was, I was paralyzed. Like, should I admit to watching a dirty movie? Like, I, I, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I've never heard of that film, Megan. I, you know, I, uh, I don't watch films. Uh, so no, anyway, it's from yeah. like the fifties or something. Okay. Uh, no, I, so I think that the, I'm sure it's famous. Uh, no, I mean, it's a mainstay. I mean, it is a funny <laughs> premise. Like I remember 
you know, when I was a kid, I watched Casual Fall. I thought Casual Fall was funny. Like, it's a funny premise. The, the one with Robin, I mean, they've been made several times. Robin Williams was right, Nathan Lane. Um, but, I mean, no one walked out of that movie thinking, oh, you know, Nathan Lane is so brave. Like, you know, what letter on the on the LGBT spectrum are we going to assign to him? Like, it was, it was just taken, or I don't, you're certainly not old enough to remember Benny Hill. Do you know who Benny Hill is? I know who that is, okay. but okay, wait, let me just, so some like it, how have you not seen some like it hot? I just want to explain to you what so this I is. I only watch animated movies. Oh, okay. And and not anime movies. Like You only watch animated movies and Adam Sandler movies. So I have, so I have, <laughs> I have three kids, actually, so my youngest kid is 10 and soon she will age out of like the sort of minions uh, type despicable me movies. But I love those movies. We are very excited about seeing the Mario and Luigi film, uh, which is I like. I like animated movies. Yeah, but I only kind of watch animated movies because um, mm. I'm super freaked out and scared by like uh, anything, like any sort of thriller. Um, yeah, I, I like, don't. I, I don't like those either. I couldn't even watch Breaking Bad. I couldn't watch uh, oh. Sopranos. I don't like violent stuff. Yeah, you so didn't if, watch Sopranos. So I've watched half a season of every great TV series. I watched half a season of 24. I watched half a season of Sopranos. I watched 20, 20, uh, half a season of The Wire. I watched half a season of Breaking Bad. Until you would I... have died if you tried to watch The Walking Dead, by the way. The Walking Dead, no. when I first started watching that, I couldn't sleep for like months. But I always tap out I kept at watching the first them. gross scene. Like Breaking Bad, I tapped out when that bathtub went through the floor. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's disgusting. I'm not watching this film again uh or this the series and so um so, yeah so to the extent i watch anything on tv or movies it tends to be yeah either adam sadler or uh or animated movies um, okay and you must have just you must not be into old movies or something because okay so some like it hot is a 1959 um american comedy starring marilyn monroe tony curtis jack lemon and the plot is that um these two, these two guys who sort of has have like a musical comedy act that they do in lounges. Um, I think they're, what is it? They're trying to. Joe's trying to woo one of the girls by disguising himself. <laughs> this seems like a terrible idea. What? <laughs> now I'm confused. I've seen this movie a lot of times, and now I'm reading the plot. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I also I know I'll disguise <laughs> myself as a woman and that'll win her over. <laughs> like, never fails. Never I think been. He, yeah, he, but he did. He like befriended her. Okay. Anyway, very transphobic. Yeah, no, and also More sounds like those actors you mentioned, I, there's a lot of whiteness. Uh Jack Too Lemon, much whiteness, Super sure. white actor, yeah. Yeah. Um how did this Sorry. turn into so a how did the <laughs> Oh, it was disc golf. That's how we got here. Is that you okay. were talking about disc golf, and you'd mentioned that the the trans ideology had infiltrated disc golf. Well, so look, trans ideology, like that's the ideology is a big word. It's you had actually disc golf again, nerdy, geeky sport, but it's it's an interesting case study for the following reason: disc golf is a very young sport, uh, and one of the reasons I like it is it attracts a lot of really um, relaxed people. It's not like regular golf where you go to a golf club and there's a dress code and it's expensive and 
typically, you know, you have to wear a collared shirt. You can't wear jeans. Uh, it's stuffy. You certainly can't bring your dog. One thing I like about disc golf is I can bring my dog. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's, how many sports can you bring your dog? You no, know? it's awesome. Like, yeah. I totally agree. So, and, like, usually they have them, like, I've encountered diff- disc golf courses in, like, parks. And so yeah. you can kind of oh. just show up and have a beer and play with your friends. Yeah. Mix, they call it, yeah, mixed-use parks. I mean, there are some, like, very high-level places where it's like you have to pay I don't know, 20 bucks to play but yeah most disc golf courses are municipal parks or the like but as a result it attracts you know the kind of guys and and and, and women who like you might find also doing things like mountain biking or skateboarding or snowboarding like they're just it's it's a young sport the culture around it is very progressive and very tolerant which i like so there's because it's not a violent sport um, the league I play in, it's a mixed league, so it's not uncommon for women and men to, to play together. It's not a macho sport. And as a result, the idea of inclusion was a very well-intentioned concept. Like, who doesn't want to be inclusive? Um, you know, like, I, I can bring my dog. There's tons of people smoking weed on the course. Right. Um, beginners are welcome. So, like, you know, a lot of sports especially like regular golf, when you bring a beginner onto, onto the links, people don't like it because it slows everything down and they're losing balls and it's like they're creating divots. Disc golf, there's a, a beginner, everyone's teaching him or her how to play. And so this inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. And so it's natural that when they're making rules and someone says, I'm not Henry, I'm Henrietta, they're like, okay, well, you know, let's play in the women's league. Like, great, you know, uh, have fun. And, and, I mean, I, I, I totally respect that, the impulse. Um, and I, I don't mind that, certainly for recreational leagues. Like if I, uh, if I joined a men's league in Toronto, or I guess for men it doesn't really matter because if, if a woman wants to play, I don't think anyone objects. But uh, I don't think most good female players would object at a recreational level if a biological male who identifies as a woman wanted to play in their leagues. Like, I think that'd be fine. However, at, at the very, very highest echelons of every sport where people have devoted their life to, to being good at it, and there are, you know, some of the female disc golfers I interviewed for this article I did for Quillette about it, they've been playing disc golf for 20 years. Wow. And the female-identified biological male who started winning tournaments had been playing for like three years. And again, this is not an untypical thing. You see this, you know, there's a scandal like this in Canadian powerlifting where someone who's been powerlifting for just a couple of years is like winning female competitions because they're biologically male. And I remember one of the women I spoke with, and I know her, like she, very famous disc golfer, um, was saying like, I was playing the sport where, you know, I had to be a waitress for eight months a year just so I could tour disc golf during the summer because the prizes I was winning were like $500. And so even the greatest disc golfers in the world certainly the women, could not make a living off it. And she said, now you go and the prizes are like $5,000 and I can make, you know, high five figures, low six figures as a professional disc golfer, uh, you know, product endorsements, like it's a real sport. And now that there's money, now you've got men coming in and taking that money from me. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, it, it starts in a spirit of inclusion. I think that's what we should remember. Like, I mean, I think you and I are on the same side of this this idea of whether biological men should be allowed in the sport, but I, we should never lose sight of the fact that it didn't start out as let's screw over women. Um, it started out, I think, in most cases as 
let's be as inclusive as possible. Um, and I, I so think that was, that's yeah. probably how it started out. But I also then I think about like I again like it's I wonder about the kind of male who would push for that, who would try like if you think about yeah. Fallon Fox, yeah. like I think Fallon Fox went into there's that like famous fight where he yeah. cracked a woman's yeah. skull, but I don't I think he didn't say that he was male like i think he didn't i i think he just identified himself as a woman that's knowing that's a, that wasn't yeah. true that's a particularly awful case because it, it's you're actually like beating the crap out of the other person so if you're right. biological male getting to the different ring, than disc golf i suppose I, well you know i mean <laughs> i your, your your disc goes in the bushes sometimes there's a lot of thorns and mosquitoes and like it can i wouldn't say it is a sport without its physical hazards, but but punching <laughs> pun, punching people in the face is, is certainly not one of them. What I will say is that um, in, in terms of what's the kind of person who does it, I think there's a very very small subset, and you saw you saw this with in boxing. There was some dude who Veronica Ivy is. is, is no, uh, okay, Veronica Ivy, I think, was that the cyclist. Yeah, but, but there was in boxing. Um, McKinnon. Oh, no, that was UFC. That was UFC okay. also, and that was he was a a very mediocre fighter, but yeah. he won that fight because it was male. But I guess what I'm going with, you in in, in Australia, there's, I think there was a couple of cases in rugby. There's a very small. I think there's a very small set subset of male female identified athletes who actually like the idea of physically intimidating and beating up women. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a very, very small minority of this phenomenon, but I, and I mentioned this Veronica Ivy or I think I'm Veronica Ivy used to go to by McKinnon. It. What was her name? McKinnon? Uh, Veronica Ivy. Oh, I can't remember. It was out. It was a Canadian. Thanks and, man, but if you yeah. look, Veronica Ivy made headlines because, um, got on Twitter and said, oh, I hope you die in a grease fire. That, that was the thing. And um, just a very, one of these people is very misogynistic. And you got the sense that the, the desire to get into female sports was tied in with a very unhealthy appetite for intimidating women. I think in other cases, I've heard interviews with people like Leah Thomas and there's a certain non-neurotypical aspect to them where they don't quite perceive themselves and what they're doing athletically the way the rest of the world might perceive it. Like they're sort of locked into a kind of construction of them, themselves that's not a neurotypical construction. Uh, and, and, and in the interviews, it's clear that like, the reason they're not embarrassed is because they've developed a very strong idea of themselves and their identity and their place in the universe that's very different from like what you would see on a video screen and you look at them and you say, okay, that's not a woman. Um, so I have some degree of kind of understanding for that. Uh, I don't know that they're all autistic, but there's something going on with a lot of these men um, I know that one of the characteristics of autism is that you develop extremely strong um, conceptions about yourself and who you are and your identity. And so there's like a prevalence of autism among ROGD kids. And I think some of these 
male-bodied athletes who get into female sports, there's some of that. Yeah, I think that some of them genuinely might be confused. That UFC, sorry, the UFC fighter that I was thinking of is named Alana McLaughlin, who I mentioned, who okay. was like pretty mediocre, but won that fight. But I mean, but, but Leah I Thomas think... actually think Leah Thomas actually thinks they're a woman. Like really? They, well, if you look at the interviews, um, I mean, there's a certain sort of glassy-eyed quality, but I, I think these people, I, it's not an act. Like I, I think. They try and convince themselves, I, but I think it's sincere, which is why when I write these articles, I try never to cast aspersions on the athletes, mm. because if the rules allow you to do something, if a rules committee says you're allowed to compete as a woman, even though you're male, you're not breaking the rules. I, I, when I, whenever I write journalism about the subject, I'm always directing my certainly my, my curiosity, my critique, my, um, my understanding of how this, these situations came to transpire at the people who are making decisions. Um, like, I think, uh, Castor Semnyata, is that her name? Semanya? Semanya, yeah. Um, I mean, I think most people would agree that, like, to, she's, um, she, she was put in a very difficult position and conducted herself with a lot of, like, dignity under the circumstances. And uh, I gen generally thought it was unfair that to the extent she got abuse, um, it was directed at her. I think if, if, you're, if you're angry, you should be angry at the people who are making the rules. If the rules committee says, you know, yes, you're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to strap an airplane engine to your back, when you run the 100 meter sprint and you do it and win, you can't blame that person for taking advantage of a dumb Yeah. Rule. Well, I mean, like, I suppose yeah. it would be comparable to saying, like, you do allow doping. Like, it's like, sure, you can take um, this much testosterone and still compete, then probably a lot of people would do it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I remember it was a long time ago. The lengths people will go to, to put a medal around their neck are just incredible because um, often it's not money. Like I remember it was ages ago, but I saw this documentary about guys who were on testosterone. They were um, in some kind of like crazy power. You know, those competitions where like it's how, how muscular you are. Like a like, bodybuilding competition. Yeah, it's like they're like, yeah. I think they literally like grease their bodies and they appear on stage and they fly. Yeah. So, and they do really weird diets and they dehydrate themselves and yeah. they get yeah. fake tans because yeah. it accentuates their muscles and it's, it's pretty strange. Yeah. Um, well, I was, I was more detailed than, than I knew, but uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> that, that was... I'm not sure why I know that. <laughs> um, but the thing that I remembered uh, was that I remember a person being interviewed on one of those documentaries and, and was asked about the life-threatening effects of these steroids. Um, and the guy said, if, if these steroids make me die within the next five years, but I win this, some gigantic competition they were training for, but if I win this, I don't care. Like, I don't care if I die in the next five years as long as I win this. That's strange. It's super strange, but, and I think it, that's an extreme example, but... All of these people who, you know, trying to get to the Olympics um, to excel in their sports, they have a drive to win and 
that, that I don't think people like you and I could understand. I mean, I'm sure you're a decent athlete. I like to think I'm a decent athlete, but we're not. I would never athletes. do. I would. I don't have the drive to train or to compete in a way that endangers my life in any way at all, or even my health. I mean, I feel like my working out and exercise is for my health, not against my health. That's that's the thing. I do it to look good on podcasts. <laughs> Well, it's working. I know. Well, I, this, this didn't happen by accident, maybe. You know, You've been doing a lot of, like, what, jaw workouts? I, well, yes, at McDonald's. It's, uh... <laughs> you know, I noticed yeah. you eat so much fast food, and I cannot believe it because you're not fat. Like, I feel like if I – I haven't eaten fast food in so long. And honestly, I find – sorry, but I find fast food actually kind of gross. Like, I don't, yeah. I, I don't eat it because I know it's bad for me. But if I like, I would rather eat good food, to be honest. But well, you good. love fast food, and you're not fat, which I think is weird. Uh, I, I think I, I, like everybody else, I, you know, I, there's, I'd love to lose weight. But what I'm one of these people who exercises fanatically because I know I'll never be a good eater. I know oh, I'll never okay. be able to resist. You know, it's like remember that book from. 15 years ago or whatever uh salt sugar fat yeah the, so you know the three the three vices and yeah. and i'm three for three on that i know people who are like they have a sweet tooth but they don't like salt and they don't like fat or you know they they love i don't know fatty entrees but they don't have a sweet for me it's all three uh and so i i have to exercise compulsively um just to to tread water so uh, how much do you exercise like what are you doing um so i i really got into peloton over um okay. over the holidays so you're doing before, a lot of cardio so i was i was kind of a compulsive tennis player before covid um like i was fairly competitive in my age group at one point even provincially um and then when when that ended for me it was Pel i became obsessed with peloton um disc golf isn't exactly an aerobic sport but you know if you can hike around outside for three or four hours it's certainly better than being at your desk mm -hmm. um you, you know what it sounds corny but the health advice they give people who are in their like 30s 40s 50s it's, it sounds stupid get a dog because if mm. you have a dog who requires a lot of exercise and it's like 3 p.m and that dog is staring at you and you know maybe you walk the dog in the morning but it hasn't had like real exercise you that often is what it takes for you to say you know what i'm going to finish this work in the evening i'm going to go to the park and like i live near the ravine here in toronto which is is great you know, so like i'll go with my dog for a two-hour hike uh up and down and again you know it's not olympic training but i know so many people who, who during covid didn't do anything because their favorite, whatever yeah. their favorite thing was, their favorite thing was closed. And they just, they said, well, if I can't do my favorite thing, whether it's going to the gym or whether it's, I don't know, Zumba size or whatever the hell they did, I'm just going to do nothing. And I'm just, and, and, and those are the people, unfortunately, who, uh, a lot of people got really fat over COVID. Yeah. 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 I mean, I sort of, I, I love pasta and I love cake. So I also have to work out because otherwise I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't be able to eat those things. Well, you're I you're in Mexico fatter, but... where, where the food is amazing. Yeah. There's um, lots of good food. So do you speak I, Spanish now? Uno, dos, 
tres, okay. cuatro, cinco. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. I can. Mm, my Spanish is not great, but I can. I can like order my food and stuff that I want, and I can operate at like the tienda, like at the little stores, and I can count to I would say fifty. All right. Uh, <laughs> this, this is like Dora the Explorer Spanish. Uh, it's yeah. more than I used to know. I kind of meant more like conversational. The, the, yeah. God, no, no. Okay. I mean, I just I thought I would sort of pick that up, but it's much harder than I anticipated because you like it's like one thing for me to be able to say a sentence, but it's another thing for me to be able to understand when somebody you look more Spanish though. You look more Spanish. Is that like the thing? <laughs> no, but your hair going up? That feels kind of like. Oh, that's just because my hair is sweaty. <laughs> oh, I thought it was like an an homage to like the flamenco tradition or something. No, or, no. it's okay. just dirty. Yeah, okay. I just didn't. I didn't just didn't wash it after the gym. Well, today. that's disgusting. <laughs> so okay, so um, we were talking about oh the disc golf thing, and okay, but tell me. There, so there's a controversy. So a male. This, has this only happened one time, or is there like a larger phenomenon no, of males it, um, entering into disc golf competitions with women? It's kind of a typical story <clears throat> where it was like on a sort of slow burn thing where you know people in the disc golf community like you see oh this tournament like oh um, like there there was actually one person they were in their fifties they're actually from Netherlands. Not only were they winning age tournaments, but they actually joined the board of directors of the the governing body of uh, U.S. professional disc golf, and and this is not an uncommon phenomenon. Like we dudes are good at taking over organizations when we're motivated. really good, like, yeah, super good. And um, uh, and again, this person following the rules, but like you know, once you're on the board of directors, then it becomes difficult. Then it becomes more personal because if then they set rules that are restrictive in regard to trans people. Well, you know, there's a trans person on the board and we're not being inclusive. But then what, where the rubber really hit the road was the highest elite level female tournaments There was a biologically male player who started winning them. And it's, it, what's interesting is as soon as that happened, things moved very quickly. And, and disc golf actually set what I think is a really good rule. They said, you know, at lower levels, sure, go nuts. But at higher levels, uh, pretty much if if you've gone through male puberty, you're not you're not going to play disco. Oh, and actually, the that's impressive. It was impressive, and it's not what people expected because, again, it's sort of this sort of like, you know, touchy feely sport, like like kind of like ultimate frisbee or or snowboarding, where it's like you expected they wouldn't be hard ass about it, but they were, and I was really surprised. You know what the key was, and I'd love to see this done in every organization, is they sent out an anonymous survey to all their members, to tens of thousands of people. And it was anonymously. It wasn't like, who in this room wants to deny Just trans stand people? up yeah, in yeah. front of all, yeah. everyone. Yeah. And it's and like, yeah. Explain and, how transphobic they are. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and maybe get fired. <laughs> and and I, I'd stand up and you'd stand up. And I know you would because I went, I was at... Laurier or outside of Laurier when when you came there a couple of years ago and you know you to your credit you you know you've gone on speaking tours and you've you've been that person in the room but not everybody wants to be that person in the room and and I I interviewed female disc golfers like some of the greatest disc, female disc golfers in the world and and they said you know you say well why don't you speak out and they said look John 
let's say I speak out and nothing happens. A week after that, I could be on a disc golf course in a quartet, because it's like regular golf, there's like four of you. And and one of them could be some, you know, a trans woman. And it's awkward. It's like, well, you know, I've been campaigning to have you not here. And I get that. Right. Like, um, mobilization is difficult because unless you know you have the numbers to make it work, then you become the Karen, you become the problem. Uh, and so what happened was a really interesting social dynamic. They sent out tens of thousands of people. Got I actually got the questionnaire too because I'm a member of the um, PDGA. Uh, it's a it's it's a worldwide organization, and it was and it said what level of disc golf are you? Are you male or female? Where do you live? Um, and do you think biological males should be included in these categories? And then they published the results, and it was really interesting because most women did not want biological men in their division. But you saw that the better the women are, like at going up to the elite level, it was like 80% of the women said, I don't want biological men in here. Like, I like keep them out. And this is, sorry. Is, but I'm just saying, this was an eye opener for me because yeah. who would have thought this sport would be like established best practices for canvassing the opinions of people? Because, yeah. again, that's not usually the way it works. Usually the way it works is like, well, we had our general meeting and like, well, transphobes come up and grab the microphone. Oh, no one's, no one's giving a speech. I guess everyone loves the status quo. And what's interesting, I keep prattling on about this, but I think it's really interesting. In my interview, and I put it in the article because my article preceded, I, like, I think my article might have had something to do with, with this. These women, elite female athletes says, we believe 80% of our peers don't want biological males competing at the elite levels. Sure enough, the survey came out, the survey data came out, it was 81%. Huh. So their estimate was correct, and yet they told me that if this was done publicly, only two or three of them would speak out. Yeah, but, but okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just going to say this is really interesting yeah. because I a lot of people blame women for the trans phenomenon because they say well women went along with this women supported this women are so stupid to have let this happen to themselves you know this is screwing women but women did it to themselves and they they um you know said trans women are women and yada 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 and I mean, and I've thought about, because there are a lot of women that have gone along with this. That's true in some ways. Um, and, you know, like, I tend to think that has to do with socialization. Some might argue it has to do with women's, you know, what something innate in women that they're more inclined to get along and not cause conflict and um, be polite and all of those things. Um, but, you know, it does go to show that a lot of women are saying this, but they don't necessarily want it and that they definitely don't believe it. I think, I don't like to make generalizations about um, men and women because... Um, because we're all exactly the same. Yes. There's because, no difference uh, There were no us. different, yeah. It just, <laughs> um, and so how could you ever know that there was any difference between yeah, a man and a woman? Yeah. Uh, no, that's absolutely not the reason. So, well, I mean... The, one reason is because for me it's kind of complicated so i live in a household of, of females so i'm married um 
to a, a she her and I have three girls and it's been a, it's a very educational experience because when I talk to people my age who have like three boys their experience as parents I mean it isn't better or worse it's just complete it's just completely different um and and I do notice that um I have observed that um men and boys are more likely to be kind of shit disturbers and mm -hmm. say things that are like, well, I don't agree. I think maybe certainly at the age of, of students and athletes, because a lot of the phenomena we're talking about are collegiate phenomena, like, you know, university sports or most athletes are young, they're in their twenties. I would say I, I've noticed that maybe women are a little bit more likely to endorse what I would call the 50% plus one consensus. So if like 55% of the people in the room are like voting one way, maybe they're more motivated than, than the man because the man might think, well, you know, I, I can attract attention to myself and become this like, uh, you know, firebrand rebel type dude if I just like buck the trend and go my own way. That impulse, for whatever reason, socialization or genetics is, 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 certain, is, is more blunted in women. Um, and so... I have talked about this kind of stuff with, with, you know, people in my family. And it's interesting because often they will say, you know, this, this is my wider circle of, of female friends and, and, and family members. They'll say, well, of course it's ridiculous to have a biological male weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Like that makes no sense. And, and, and they recognize it. But then if at their school they have... A, a, a trans person come in for like one of the 17 holidays devoted to trans people to give an inspirational speech, they will be there and they'll be clapping and they'll be inspired by it because they're in a room full of people who are also clapping and say they're inspired by it. Like they join in the kind of rituals of affirmation that are part of the cult of inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so they're torn because if you talk to them individually, they reckon, oh, they're not, they're not ignorant like they know the science they, they know it's ridiculous but a big part of their life are about rituals of inclusion you know social life social media you know someone puts on their instagram oh isn't it amazing a drag queen came to our school and taught us all about dildos or like whatever <laughs> and they're like there's like well 47 of my friends put heart symbols on it so i guess i should put a heart symbol on it but then yeah, you talk to them. I'm and supposed so, to like this. Okay. Yeah, no, it is. It's like, well, you know, there's rainbows and it's kind of looks like my little pony. And I guess, you know, cool, open minded. It's on the CBC. Yeah, diversity. you know. Um, so, so as a result, and, and by the way, I do that stuff too. Like, uh, and maybe not on the subject, but, you know. Um, I mean, I like things that I don't really like just to be nice on the internet, but usually it's like the picture, a picture of somebody's face or them doing something that I think is stupid. And I'm like, oh, this is stupid. I'm not going to like it. And then I feel guilty. So I like it anyway. Sorry, people. I don't like all of your faces and activities. For me, it's more like getting <laughs> swept up in, you know, like, the, like Olymp the, the Olympics or something like that. Like, have you ever been like watching the Olympics in some stupid sport and you're like, it's like yes, Canada won tetherball. Like, <laughs> like, you just like you that's want, never happened to me. No, <laughs> no, but you you want this like you see everyone else cheering for it, 
and so you cheer for it. Um, and and a lot of the rituals of inclusion are structured like that, where they're like rallies or, um, you know, like the I Am Jazz stuff, where like at the end, everyone's kind of like clapping and you see people crying. Like, have you ever seen these videos on Tumblr where, I mean, they're mortifying, but they're supposed to be inspiring, where like some confused looking 16 year old girl with blue hair and a bad fitting t-shirt gets up in front of like a county fair and tells everyone she's non-binary mm. and and like everyone claps and she starts crying and then goes and hugs her mom like there's like a hundred videos like that, that yeah I can say. and you're like what are people feeling inspired by exactly i look at it girl? and i say this is so cringe but if i were there megan i'd probably be clapping i because we're human beings and maybe women more than men i don't know but men certainly aren't immune to it they you you know you see people being supportive and exhibiting like a positive emotion like we all like bonding rituals we all like the idea of feeling we're in a community right i mean that's what's exciting about watching sports is that like everybody's cheering for something together and it does feel exciting and i don't care about sports really almost at all but if i'm at like some sports event then i will kind of get into it because that's you a fun care thing about to being do in a tribe sure what? I will say that, I mean, with regard to the cheering for, like, a non-binary girl or, like, whatever the cause is, I do think that women are more inclined to do that. And I say that as a woman and as a woman who's like, gets annoyed by other women doing this all the time because I feel that I'm expected to do it also and I'm not really that kind of person. Well, it's, it's a nurturing thing. And we and all I'm agree. not very nurturing. Oh, no, we all agree that you don't have to... <laughs> waste bandwidth saying that yeah it's I no mean, the other yeah. thing i was gonna say that i like without meaning it is people's babies people post a baby and i'm like oh and then, then i'm like oh, i feel bad i should like it but i'm okay. doing it just to be nice i don't really like your baby okay so, um that describes okay, um, my personality again, pretty many, much really <laughs> much information so um look the baby thing i get it it's like i was like that until i had my own kids um and um but the tribal thing is important because my theory was when people analyze what happened during COVID, because during COVID, everything shut up, mental illness shut up, um, you know, people thinking that they're non-binary shut up, people thinking they have ADHD. I talked to a psychiatrist, you know what he was saying, forget the gender stuff. He's got kids coming into his office. This is actually someone I played tennis with in Mexico. The, the place I was at was full of Canadians and half of them were doctors. So he's a child psychiatrist. And he said, there's this explosion of kids who think they have Tourette's. I and, noticed that yeah, recently. And, Isn't and so, that weird? And this happens during COVID because what happens is, again, everyone wants to feel like they're a tribe. So it's like, well, I'm team non-binary. You don't get it because you're not binary. Like people on my team get it. Um, it's like, well, you know, I'm on team trans. Well, you know, I'm on team this. I'm on team that. And it's always like this, this sort of obsession with the idea of like, you don't get what it's like to be BIPOC or... You don't get what it's like to be four spirited, and and I have a I have a theory that a lot of obviously not all of it, but a lot of it is based on the fact that our normal tribal identifiers, including professional sports, weren't available. Like especially mm. guys, I know so many guys who their sense of like tribal belonging is like the Toronto Maple Leafs, totally the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, when I lived in New York, like people were just 
upset. I lived in Pittsburgh, and my God, the way they talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers as a football team, Megan, was like insane. Like they were just, it was like they were, I don't know, Palestinians or Israelis talking about like, you know, terrorism or counterterrorism. Like it was their thing. It was. They do it in San Francisco, like, and they try to, people try to do it to me, even though I'm clearly not a man. So why would I care about your sports? Yeah. But like you get into an Uber and the Uber driver's like, oh, the Niners did it. Like anytime there's a baseball game on, everybody is talking about the baseball game and, and everybody UFC. assumes everybody else yeah. is talking about the, the baseball game. Yeah. I mean, I actually like UFC, so I would be okay to That's talk about weird. UFC. But I, don't, <laughs> I know I don't know why this find, is like I don't really like any sports except for the beating up ones. Oh, uh, see, no, that's the one I I don't like the the, the fighty I ones. Love UFC. I love I, I don't. It's but it's definitely the case that human beings being social creatures, I think they need a sense of tribe. Yeah. And and in the age of social media, sickness can become a tribe. Like this Tourette's thing. It isn't just that these kids are coming in and saying, "Oh, I have Tourette's. Look, I have a tick. Look, I have a tick." And and like they're coming with like uh, crutches and they have stims and they have like they put on these giant earphones because they claim to have like environmental sensitivity and they claim to have 17 different allergies that don't exist. And then you realize you say, why the hell is kid creating all this stuff? But then you look at their, you know, the parents look at the search history and it's like they're a part of like. 150 different you know support groups for calgary area tourettes teenagers who are also non-binary or whatever and you realize that this is they're self-selecting into tribes and to me it's a it's a very creepy and unsettling way of tribal identification but think about it. we live in an age where we're not allowed to be canadians because canada is a genocide state built on a mountain of indigenous skulls and so, like, patriotism has gone out of fashion in the progressive corners of the internet. Right. Um, again, competitive sports, for two years no one was doing it. And then there's people like you who, who don't like it unless, you know, two, two men are... Unless there's blood. Up. Yeah, unless they're... Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, and, and people just become very alienated. Um, yeah, that's interesting. The, I didn't think about think that. Affinity groups. Have you heard this expression, affinity groups? No. So on Canadian campus, it's because you, you live in Mexico and you're probably just reading the I've Mexican just newspapers. Out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're just hanging out at the bodega, just like talking about Mexican the... politics. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eating tacos. <laughs> and... big, big sombrero. On your... <laughs> yeah, <these> stereotypes <laughs> are terrible. But what, I mean, to me, what it is, is. Um, <laughs> before those horrible stereotypes came out of my mouth what, what was i talking about affinity groups yeah so the big thing on on canadian campuses is what is euphemistically known as affinity groups and what is an affinity group well an affinity group and this is happening at like university of manitoba it's happening at toronto metropolitan university aka ryerson it's happening uh, all over the place on campuses and what they'll do is they'll set up like a room or a club or events that are like only for black people or only for indigenous people. Hmm. And they won't say, oh, this room is racially segregated because that's kind of, you know. Uncouth. But they'll say yeah. this is reserved for the black person affinity group. 
And then when you read through all the euphemisms, because I've, I've written about this, it's basically a racially segregated space. And of course they say, no, 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 it's not racially segregated. It's just, these are people who have this affinity, which is based on skin color. And the group is only for people who have that affinity. And I'm like, how stupid do you think people are? Like you're describing segregation. And by the way, I get it. Like it's not, there's racial segregation that's being done because you think a certain group is inferior, which is horrible. And this kind of segregation, it, it's arguably, well, more than arguably, it's, it's certainly not as pernicious because I think it's dumb and I think you're convincing people to like maintain a hostile or at least a suspicious approach to people of other races because the whole thing is based on the idea like there's too much stress for a green person to be in a room with a purple person because they're mm. going to you know be afflicted by races. And that's a terrible message to send to students at university. They should come to university to to learn to be with purple people and green people. Like it's just, it, it should be part of the experience. And um, Not but, like these people are going to be hostile to you because of your skin color or they're going to treat you differently or you're going to, you're going to experience some yeah. kind of trauma yeah. or microaggression. And, you're going to have like a bad experience yeah. if you're around these people right. because they're not like you. Yeah. And, and there's, and by the way, there's always a, a grain of truth to this stuff. It's a hundred percent true that, you know, when I went to university, I had experienced anti-Semitism in life a little bit, not much. Uh, I doubt there's an indigenous person in Canada who, by the time they get to university, hasn't experienced some kind of anti-indigenous racism. Racism, it happens. Like, I'm not one of these people who, like, thinks racism was, you know, the forces of racism were defeated, uh, you know, when the Civil Rights Bill was signed. Like, it's racism is part of the human condition, unfortunately. Yeah. However, I don't think it's a good way to deal with racism by telling people you know, stick with your kind. Um, and again, that's, that's a very toxic kind of tribalism. Mm. Um, it's the kind of tribalism that says, you, will, you know you can identify a person you can trust and with whom you can feel safe because they look like you. Like, that's screwed up. And I don't care whether you call it an affinity group or you say, well, you know, it's an enhanced diversity initiative. You sometimes hear language like this. I mean, it's just, these are euphemisms for telling people to, to hang out with their race. And like the least, the least interesting component of a person is their skin color. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the least interesting part of a person. And I mean, I happen to be Jewish. I know plenty of Jewish people who are dicks. I know plenty of Jewish people who are wonderful people. Um, because I'm not religious, in my whole life, I've never joined a Jewish club. Because, like, what am I going to do? Like, just watch Seinfeld with these people? Like, it's just... <laughs> there's plenty of people who are interesting and funny and kind who aren't Jewish. And there's enough people who are Jewish and are super annoying that, like... I Again, if, if I were super religious, of course I would join a Jewish group. It's called a synagogue. And I would go there every Saturday and I would pray. But I'm not religious, so I'm not going to like, well, I guess I'll join a Jewish backgammon club so I don't have to like deal with those shitty Gentiles every time I play backgammon. Like, that's not the way I approach life. Yeah, you're like, I don't just like people or trust people because they're of the same culture, skin color, whatever as me. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I mean, that's not to say I don't have, you know, some preconceptions locked away. Like, you know, and it's... Uh, and everyone's like that. Like, I mean, that's the thing is... Uh, well, humans, I think, I mean, I've I've read a little bit about this, but, like, I think humans, like, racism is a little bit inherent 
to human beings. Of course it is. Yeah. And and often it's like positive racism. So right. I hasn't happened recently, but I remember very specifically, I've had people who basically said to me, like, oh, you're Jewish. Who, who, who do you think can help me with my taxes? And I, I remember I said, <laughs> like, no. Were you I, insulted? I, well, no, but so the person who said this happened to be like, they were maybe working class. So like, they just in their mind, they were like, okay, well, maybe he had been to like his cousin's wedding and like there were Jewish people there and there were a lot of people sort of in that industry. But it was interesting because when he said it, at first I was like offended, but then I was like, actually, I know a ton of people who can help you. And, <laughs> Yes, the right guy. Like, no, because I worked, when I was a lawyer, I worked at a tax law firm in New York. And it's true, like, most of the people there were Jewish. It was just, it was our thing. And I, I have to admit, like, a lot of those generalizations, they may be true, they may not be true. Um, but to the extent they're true, they, they're typically true of, like, sort of, sometimes they're true of industries or professions or, you know, waves of immigrants find different Black people really do seem to be better at basketball and running really fast. They so are I'm great not, I'm, athletes. I'm 100% not going to go there. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, if you just look around. But actually, this is one of the things I love about baseball. Baseball is a truly multicultural sport. Yeah, so, yeah. So the greatest You athlete... even have, like, fatties in baseball. Yeah, I mean, they're not... Fatish. You know, Fatish. Like you, you deposit them in your average Walmart. And Wasn't Babe Ruth oh, that? He was. He was tubby. And and the Blue and Jays an have a guy. Blue Jays have a guy named Alejandro Kirk, who's my height and is two sixty five, I think. No, two thirty five, which like for an athlete is is very yeah. But racially, the greatest. So in my opinion, the greatest athlete in the world right now is a baseball Japanese. I guess Japanese American Japanese Japanese baseball player called Otani. Uh, who, like like some of the great baseball players of Babe Ruth's era, is both an incredible pitcher and an incredible hitter, which is the equivalent of, like, imagine in, like, I don't know what sport you're familiar with. Not like, baseball. Okay, well, let's say football, where it's like you had a, an amazing quarterback. who Basketball was also, a little bit. Uh, Maybe that doesn't translate. Or what about UFC? Like, he's, yep. he's no. super good at punching and he's super good at kicking. That, that, well, can, you, can you kick in UFC? Is that, yeah, yeah, you can. Are you allowed almost, to kick? Yeah, you can punch and kick and then take them down and wrestle on the ground. Can you headbutt? No. Can you, like, <clears throat> scottage them violently with your hips? Like, can you thrash them about, like, with your midsection? Like, is there any part of your body you can't use to strike them? Uh, you can't poke someone in the eye. You can't headbutt them. You can't bite um, but you can do a lot of other stuff. <laughs> I, I find it unsettling that you have to specify those things. Like, because I would just... You I mean, I don't... have to say those things. I've, this is basic... Most of that's just based on, like, observing. Like, I've seen a fight get shut down because a guy got poked in the eye. And I don't even think that was intentional. But can you tickle? Was... Can you tickle? I hope not. I, like I if hate, you have like the guy, is like the I worst know. kind of torture. <laughs> but that's that's to me that would be the way to get me to tap out. Like it's just, I've, I I don't know if that's specifically illegal, but I bet if somebody tried it, it would be considered offside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so anyway, this guy is a one in a million baseball yeah. player. No, but I'm saying right? baseball. So on an average evening of baseball you will often see incredible players who happen to be of East origin, East Asian origin, 
you'll have many great black players. The Spanish-speaking world has produced, probably on a per capita basis, uh, more great baseball players in recent decades than any other part of the world. Yeah, and you'll see guys who, who look like me. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons. You know, I was at... I was at the baseball game two days ago, and it was Jackie Robinson Day. And even you know who Jackie Robinson is. You know, he, he broke the color barrier. He's the you know, first black player admitted into, well, I know I'm going to get this wrong, cause into the major league ranks, um, you know, defeat, you know, when segregation was lift, lifted. Uh, and his number was retired, not just for any one team. He played for the Dodgers, but for all of baseball. And he actually he played for Montreal, played for the Montreal Maroons uh, briefly. Hmm. Um, and it was, I, I happened to be at the stadium in Toronto, you know, watching the Blue Jays and it was a sellout crowd. It was like 40,000 people and everyone was like cheering for Jackie Robinson's memory and cheering for, everyone there loved baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays, very multicultural team. Um, and like, it's just this incredible feeling. And I was just thinking we're here applauding the destruction of the the color barrier in baseball like everyone in the stadium who's cheering recognizes that segregation was this evil thing and these are ordinary people i'm surrounded by uh, like they're not like twitter people but then you know you look on twitter or you look not just on twitter but like in canadian universities and stuff and they're going in the opposite direction they're talking about affinity groups and they're talking about becoming like more insular and um and it's, it, it actually, I find it upsetting that some of the smartest, most hyper-educated people in our society have such short historical memories. They have short historical memories for the advances of feminism. They have short yeah. historical memories for the advances of liberalism. They're all convinced that like liberalism is a dead end and like due process and free speech, that's all just white supremacist bullshit. Like... You Not know, so long ago, that was like the reason that that's, yeah. civil rights, the civil yeah. rights movement was successful. Was but, because but of they're free also speech. like, they're also, they've had enough with racial integration because like, you know, segregation in society is so awesome. And it's just, it's, it's sad because, um, you know, I don't think that like these progressive elites who like, podcasts like this, we come on, and, you know, we bash these these people but they're not dumb i mean like you know they're they're smart well-intentioned people um but but on many of the subjects that you know i've been rambling about they're just they they have staked out anti-liberal positions that fly in the face of historic important historical lessons because of this is just the way the ideological fashions are swinging uh mm -hmm. you know intersectional feminism no one would look at me as an expert on feminism but I can safely say that intersectional feminism is bullshit to the extent that it teaches us that, you know, Fallon Fox gets into a ring and gets to beat the crap out of, out of, out of women. Like, it's just, there's... Right. And intersectional feminism really pushed the woman part out of feminism. You know, feminism was supposed to be about the women's rights movement. And then it became this ideology, and then it became intersectionality and postmodernism so and gender it, theory. And so, is intersectional feminism? I don't even know this. Does it count as a wave? 
Because you know how like feminism comes in waves and I always get them confused. Intersectional fe- intersectionality was a part of the third wave, like a big part of the but third how many wave. Waves, like, how many waves are we are we up to? Three. We're still in three. From what I, in, as far as I'm concerned, and I know a lot about feminism, <laughs> I have some degrees in it. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people like to talk about like a fourth wave, but that's not really how the waves worked. Like first wave feminism, as we know, was about the suffragettes and the vote and also about property rights and things like that. Um, the second wave, which was, of course, you know, the 60s and 70s ended in the early 80s. And that was about reproductive rights and like sexual harassment in the workplace and rape and um then there was also the radical feminist movement began around then so then there was some stuff around pornography and stuff around like beauty standards um and then the third wave started sort of like in the 90s with like riot girl and punk and like i'm a proud slut and um everything can be and it turned into this everything can be empowering if i feel like it or if i choose it you know like these high heels and this makeup. And if I choose to put myself in this like pornified outfit on the internet and that makes me feel good, then that's empowering and that's feminist and sex worker rights are human rights and intersectional. And it became very much, it became very academic. Like feminism sort of moved into academia and gender theory, which is how it got so enmeshed, I think with intersectionality, which was an academic theory, like articulated by Kimberly Crenshaw um and then you know all this Judith, Judith Butlerian gender theory and then trans and so on and so forth so but women was, really got pushed pushed out so I I know you didn't prepare that because I asked you on the spot that was actually a very good capsule summary of like 50 years of feminism in like three minutes thank you that was pretty I've good. been at this a long time now. yeah thank well you. <laughs> I mean that was impressive but so I was not to name drop but I kind of will um, so earlier this, this week, I, I interviewed, she used to go by the name of Posey Parker. Oh yes. Uh, She's yeah. my friend. Yeah. Well, I figured you all know each other Yeah. and, uh, you do taxes together and I, um, <laughs> I should do my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy. You really should. <laughs> but, but, but I asked her, look, we were, we were talking, we were talking about other stuff, but I asked her like, it's been so long since feminism has had a new wave. Why don't you and her like to say fuck it we're fourth wave or we're fifth wave or like if or declare intersectionality and that whole like trans woman stuff maybe say that's the fourth wave and create a fifth wave it i'll leave the details up to you and you can put the numbers (laughs) but wouldn't it be great if we did that and then we were like this is all john k's idea we we were talking to this man and he had this great idea listen up ladies hey ladies shut the yappers how about (laughs) no okay no i i I, it's all these women i'm just blowing their minds right now they're like fuck (laughs) this is so smart no but okay come up with this um the reason i say it is because nomenclature is important and as much as I like, you know, gender crit, um, and I also kind of like turf. I, was, I remember I was talking to Helen Joyce, who's who's also quite the turf. Yeah. Um, that I admitted to her that I th- I find turf a funny word because it rhymes with nerf, and <laughs> and and she was saying that 
Helen Joyce was saying I've she literally never even thought of that. Before. It does. Like, you're well, probably the only person that was like Nerf was a big, big part. <laughs> Nerf is a big part of my life when I was younger. Um, it's <laughs> by the way for those listening, it's like the soft, spongy, foamy material that they made footballs out of and stuff. But my point is that um, you don't have like a really good name. I, I'm gender crit sounds very academic because i've never word, liked gender it gender has the word critical, critical in it like, so it sounds i don't identify myself as gender critical it's i don't like to say like the gender critical it does it's because ac it's academic it sounds pretentious, right yeah and, and, and also but also like it's not to me that's really not the essence of what what i'm saying anyway right. maybe it's the essence of what some people are saying but i don't think it's really that's not the point and when you the have point the word gender in it you're playing their game and women and yeah. like what's a woman and what's a yeah. man and why do women need some spaces where men aren't allowed in? It's not, I mean, yeah, we're critical of gender identity ideology, but like the point is, is less gender than it is. As soon as you have the word gender in it, you're playing their game, right? You're <laughs> yeah. just, you're critiquing yeah. their game. And then like I, I want to forget gender, you but, know, but I, so then it's like women's rights. Cause I Posey Parker, yeah. Um, which, by the way, is not, I don't think it's the name she uses. I, I Kelly J. Keen. I call her Posey, too, and I've known yeah, her for, it's, like, it's many years name. now. But but um, she says, because I asked her about this, and she says, well, I just talk about protecting, like, women's rights. Yeah. Which is great. However, you know, like, again, 200 years ago, 100 years ago, you know, suffragettes, it's kind of a generic term. Like, everyone, every feminist, to some extent, is protecting women's rights. It's just but that they're the, not. the threat to women's rights is different. It's very different now. Um, I mean, honestly, I yeah. feel like I've rejected the term feminism in a lot of ways. And I've started similarly to what Posey says. I'm I'm just ta I'm, I talk about women's rights or I talk about the women's movement or I'm just very specific about what I'm talking about. Like, right. I don't really want to talk about feminism and feminist anymore sure. because it nobody really knows what it means. It means all sorts of different things. It doesn't necessarily mean anything specific to women. It supposedly means intersectionality. Like, so but, I don't know. I'm sort of I'm over the ism. Part so of but it. I have a. a not another to, great idea <laughs> yeah. no but so Green when lady. i met you i met you close to a decade ago electronically and at the time um i mean we all go through phases you you self-identified really feminism well i mean a particularly so you identified as, as as a radical feminist right i didn't like no i didn't actually ever really i, I, I don't I, think i actually identified I as a radical emails. feminist but emails, everybody maybe, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think what I would, I mean, I was aligned with radical feminists and most of like, I would say like the foundation of my feminism was in radical feminism. But, and that but, was the kind of feminism that I was engaged it, in. It's not an accusation. But the only reason I mention it is because radical feminism, at least as I mean, I kind of learned about radical feminism from you, was radical feminism was tied up with a critique of capitalism, right? Is that, you know, there's all that. There's a certain kind of conception of, of womanhood and femininity, which is like, buy more makeup, buy more like clothes, get into fashion, get a uh, boob job, liposuction, like do all the things to your body that like men do thinking it makes them look like women. Right. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, that's the thing. If you many so-called drag queen, well, I, actually, drag queens are great for entertainment, but a lot of trans women look like women were supposed to look in a Sears, Sears catalog like seven years ago. 
And a lot of, as I understand, radical feminism, I'm sure it's evolved, was a critique of that. But in the same way, like femi- even radical feminism was about this larger thing. It was about a critique of capitalism and consumer culture. In the same way that intersectional feminism is like, sometimes it, it feels only incidentally feminist, where it's really about like critical race theory. It's really about yeah. appeasing men who claim they're women. It's really about adopting progressive postures on everything from Israel to um, who to vote for. Yeah. Um, and so... I can, is the fact, I don't want to interview you about feminism, it's your podcast, but is your, it sounds like you have like kind of some ennui about even using the word feminist. Is it because in recent decades, so much feminism seems to just be kind of like 90% of it is about some other thing, which isn't some other cause? It's partly that the, I feel like the terms come to mean very little or is very confusing to people and has disassociated itself from women in many ways. But it's also that like, I don't want to be attached to an ideology and I don't want my view of the world and my analysis and my understanding of what's going on to be driven by an ism. Like I just want it to be driven by what makes the most sense um, and maybe what's the most ethical. So I just started to find it limiting, honestly, which is funny because, you know, like, I don't know, five or 10 years ago, if somebody had said that, I would have been really angry. It's like, I don't want to be boxed in, but I don't want to be boxed in. I want to be able to, like, think what I think and support policies that I think are good policies and question things without and you know talk to whoever I want to talk to without being accused of not being a like good feminist which I was all the time and so at a certain point I was like okay well then I'm not and now can I just do what I want to do so, and think how I want to think and and I found that feminists are very feminists are like very into purity politics and right. very into like the policing of what other women and other feminists are doing. And they're very into cancel culture, even the turfy gender critical ones. So they just have the, they don't like the gender identity ideology stuff and they don't want to be canceled over that, but they'll cancel other people for all these other, you know, you're a racist, like you align with these men who are, according to me, a misogynist. And, you know, that's an anti-feminist view or you're a capitalist, yada, yada, yada. And I don't, I don't like that. You know, if, if women are incapable of leading this movement, I'm putting my <laughs> So can I actually sounds like you guys need a leader, (laughs) man. These these women uh, need -hmm. someone with a level head. But what has Mexico taught you about these ideas? Like, um, I mean, I assume it's kind of like any other. I'm I'm guessing many of your friends are English speakers from Canada, United States. But like, have you? How do how do Mexicans do feminism? Well, what I've learned is that most people in the world do not care about the things that the progressives of Vancouver care about. And most people are like just interested in like living their lives and taking care of their families and having fun and surviving. And that, you know, the people who claim to care the most about the BIPOCs really don't know anything about what BIPOCs. these people of color, BIPOCs you know, they, is such a terrible word. It well, they, sounds... Yeah. I mean, they've lumped anybody who's not white into one big chunk, which is crazy no, because but it also even within Mexico, like... there's a lot of diversity and, and you know, class yeah. in Mexico, people are very divided by class. Yeah. Like if you go to like where I am, there's like a lot of working class people and you know, 
and if you go to Mexico City, there's a lot of like people with a lot of money who are very light skinned. Like the the skin colors are it's you know you can see class right. And actually, this like this um, pretty well known steak chain here in in Mexico has caught um, seating people. They described it as seating people according to race, but really what they were doing was seating people according to class. Affinity oh, groups. Oh, God. <laughs> they were just seating people with the people they felt most comfortable with. So, like, yeah. rich people with lighter skin. Um, but I think, I mean, people here, like, if you, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, but nobody I know gives two shits about this trans stuff they think it's ridiculous they think most of the woke stuff is ridiculous like people here are not policing your language like that would be ridiculous like people are not i I don't even talk about politics with people here and you know i just i think that what i learned is that most normal people throughout the world are not engaged in the kinds of conversations that the the progressives of Twitter But that's the irony. In, intersectionality is essentially a hobbyist endeavor from the ultra-privileged class. It is. It's an, yeah. it, These are elitist conversations about nothing that matters to anyone. Although, you know what's interesting? I don't know if you've made it down to Argentina or Brazil, but my understanding no. is that some of the trans stuff has has actually penetrated into South America, again, especially like brazil some of the big cities brazil argentina i've heard that it has in mexico city because via the university but also via like um sort of glam culture um like Mm -hmm. apparently even like putting aside gender stuff um like certain countries in south america plastic surgery for wealthy women is like just a huge deal like it's it's not it's stigmatized it's more widespread and so as a result there's more of a kind of blurring of like the distinction between natural and artificial beauty, which of course has natural like overtones for, for transgender people. So it's not as much like from what I've heard, it's not as much an ideological construction. It's more of just kind of like this outgrowth of what's um, a, a super capitalistic and like hyper aesthetic obsession with like having perfect cheekbones and having perfect boobs and and this and that right i mean there's people who are transsexuals or whatever they identify as here it's just that this this gender identity ideology and this idea that men are literally women and if you don't say that you're a terrible person like i've just not encountered that here even once this is a segue but you know what's interesting is that when people ask me to use correct pronouns like i'm I usually do use correct pronouns because I, 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 I'm a Canadian. I like, you know, to be polite. I like to get along. <laughs> I like to get along. But the people, the trans women, I am like most happy and unconflicted to use their preferred pronouns for are the ones who don't insist on it and are yeah. totally upfront about the biology. Because yeah. I'm sure I know, I'm sure you know, and they're probably some of the same people. We know trans people who are like, look, I'm a biological male. I have gender dysphoria. I like to look like a woman. I like to consider myself a woman. I think I'm pulling it off, and some of them really do. And so, like, you know, I prefer to be called she, her. And in those situations, I always do it because they're not, it's not like if you don't, you're a transphobe or they're not giving me the signal that by using those secret code syllables, 
monosyllables that I'm like acceding to some kind of fantasy version of biology. And that makes me paradoxically want to be more um, conciliatory and, and, and I, I want to be polite to them. When I don't want to use correct pronouns is when... It, did you see this video from, I think it was yesterday, some from Britain, where this guy, he's apparently the leader of the trans group, he's wearing like this big pink jumpsuit with this like... Oh, yes. Look, I'm, I look, may have even seen you tweet about it. Well, cause, no, but I, I was like... Because he, he got on and he was like a debate about trans rights and there was a woman on... And the first thing he do, did is said, you know, said to her, what are your pronouns? And she, you know, said, I'm not telling my pronouns. And it became like a whole deal because she properly understood that when you, by, by humoring his request for pronouns, the, the audience would take it as I am conceding to the, the premises that govern your ideology. Like it's yeah. a ritual that says, it's like a land acknowledgement that the guy is a real woman. You know, it's 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 like a, <laughs> totally. It's like a, a lady acknowledgement, but the guy. No, but I. This is this is a subplot. The guy looked like a character from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like he, yeah, it and, was and, it was strange. No, but there's, there's there's weird, and this isn't just about gender. There's like this whole. It's tied in with furries and this obsession with Japanese anime. Yeah, and and with like timeless youthful like the. All these dudes are obsessed with like these fourteen-year-old characters. Yeah, which Japanese is why characters. there's all this like talk of girls, right? Like Dylan Mulvaney talked about becoming a girl. Like his his oh, like weird. Yeah. Root to what did he say? This something to girlhood. What? Oh, some whatever amount of days of girlhood, right? And he does a lot of dressing up like a girl. He wears yeah. like little girl clothes, and, and a lot of around. the yeah. adult yeah. trans women talk about like being a girl and like girly things and talk about like lady things in these cutesy terms and wear girl outfits like it's it's not really about you know being a woman or passing as an adult human female even for a lot of them it's like this like kid cartoony game and i think you're like i think a lot of it comes from the internet like you're right that there is this connection there's often this connection to anime and but i don't think so this is the thing I've thought about because you know the book Eighteen Months. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I interviewed she, Shannon. Yeah. So I I interviewed Shannon and she came to the Quillette Social in um, uh, in New Orleans, and one of the things that I spoke to her I thought was really interesting because she mentioned in her book that like you know her plot spoiler her her husband decided he was trans and the marriage fell. I mean it's right there in the title of the book. Um, but I'm convinced, based on her story and others like it, I've heard a lot of his midlife crisis, because I went through it, a lot of people do, is like, you turn 40 or 45, you realize you're going to die one day, you're not getting any younger, you're not going to be a UFC fighter, you're, <laughs> you're not like all these boyhood dreams. You could still be a baseball player, though. Maybe, but you're not, you see life slipping away. I mean, it's just, it's an, it's an old story, midlife crisis, and, and sometimes it makes people do stupid decisions. And one way you could arrest the flow of time is by going out with a 19 year old bimbo. Right? Yeah. Or you become the 19 year old bimbo. Right. But okay. Do you think it's more, cause it seems like it's men who more commonly have these midlife crises way more so than women. Right. Is that true? Do you think that's true? And oh, geez, what, like, like why? Um, I think, um, I mean, for a lot of men, the do it's they've sort of achievement fantasies, dominance fantasies, um, 
And often, like I can't you know, get hot yen chicks anymore. And, I mean, I think that part of it is overblown. I think it's about well, I guess I'm never going to be the alpha male, right? I guess I'm mm-hmm. always going to be the assistant regional director of paper shuffling at like the Midwestern paper shuffling company. Like, I mean, 99% of us have humdrum jobs. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, yeah, I'm never going to be, you know, an actor or like, you know, these, the, 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 the jobs you, you dream of in boyhood, which generally do not involve bureaucracy. Um, <laughs> but, but a lot of it is how do I rest? How do I convince myself that I can turn back or freeze the flow of time? And so it could be the sports car, it could be, um, you know, the the mistress, but, or it could be like, oh, what if, what if I'm actually like this Dylan Mulvaney, uh, I'm actually this freakishly young girl mincing around in a dress. And because- like, people think I'm, or men think I'm sexy or, you know, and, you know, I think that those hormones do actually make your skin softer yes. and maybe... Yeah, like, no, that's... I don't know. This is what they say in any case. Yeah, well, what they say is wrong because um, okay. Dylan Mulvaney might be many things, but I mean, it's like this is the second Pee Wee Herman reference, but it's there's something freakishly hyper about Dylan Mulvaney. It's it's like a satire yeah. of what a man thinks a teenage girl's life is like. Like, well, yeah, I mean, that's why so many women are offended by this. No, but it's, it's like, so you know, stupid and lying on the bed with your it. your legs up, talking on your princess phone. Like um, having pillow fights. Yeah, it's kind of like the way the directors of Greece pictured being a woman was like. Like there's, I mean, but that's the thing. I don't we're know giggling. If, I don't know. And if we're putting on makeup. <laughs> yeah. And look at my outfit, girls. <laughs> There was something on Twitter where a a, a trans woman was talking about, bragging about how she passed as a woman. And she said, oh, I know I passed as a woman because I was in the locker room and a woman asked me to unhook her bra. And all the comments under were were from women who were saying like, do you think women go around doing that shit? That would never, (laughs) never and you but, think a woman doesn't know how to take her own bra? No, but it was like some porn addict is like, because that's, ooh, help me take off my bra, young man. Like, it's kind of the way a man might think women come on to each other in locker rooms. And it's it's a very male idea. And a lot of the shit is male. Like, a lot of it is just the way, like, the way they dress, um, the way they walk. And, and when drag queens do it, it's funny because it's meant to be a hammy. Like, I like drag queen acts. It's fine. It's because... obviously meant to be super exaggerated. I yeah. really don't. I've never liked drag or drag queen it's acts. Fun but it's I understand it was, well, that let it's me supposed to be exaggerated and it's yeah. supposed to be It's funny. self-aware. It's self-aware. And now, by the way, unfortunately, the LGBT, some of the more militant activist aspects of it have kind of taken the fun out of, of drag queens because in the last two or three years drag queen performances have been co-opted as a political statement yeah. and like drag queens are like put in front of elementary it's about school kids. breaking the gender binary which is and... not with drag i mean like obviously i'm not not a drag queen myself it won't surprise anyone to know but like even like i one of my writers is this guy sky gilbert who um he's been a drag queen for 40 years and he's written about drag queens and he 
he wrote a play about drag queens and he <clears throat> and and he's very upfront he says like this doing public service announcements at elementary schools and teaching kids about like lgbt inclusion that's not what drag queens do like we entertain people um yeah it's a performance yeah and so it's it's unfortunate because i think there are a lot like i was just in las vegas and um uh drag race there's a show there's like a drag race show in las vegas it was very popular and i think there's probably a lot of like conservative midwestern people who go to these shows or who watch rupaul on tv and it probably does help them become more accepting and like you know not every man has to look like a football player and not every woman has to look like a cheerleader like well and because a lot of these guys are gay guys sure and so and, they're like yeah. oh okay this is fun yeah um this is like you know casual fall it's like hey hey helen remember we went to paris in 1970 this is kind of what it's like it's like moulin rouge and it does have that vibe but you kill that vibe when you the music stops the lights go on and you just say well we're going to have a political speech now i'm going to tell you about yeah. um you know all the drag queens who have suffered for the cause of trans freedom in the last 10 years and we're going to light a candle and then we're going to light trans you know... people are being eradicated yeah, there's I mean... a genocide <laughs> there's a genocide of trans people um i shouldn't laugh genocide isn't funny and one murder but there is no genocide there's of no... trans so, people so i mean so it's okay look, to laugh the last one murder of any group is too many we all agree that but but I there aren't any murders of trans people in the Canada. Last, so I this is something that's kind of on the tip of my tongue because whenever I'm on social media and and people are saying, "Well, did you are you aware that there's a genocide of trans people in Canada?" and I say, "Well, the last trans person who's known to have been killed in Canada, I think it was in 2019. I think it was in Toronto, and I remember it because it was." around the time you came to speak in Toronto, Megan, and I actually had someone say to me, I wonder if that person was killed because of Megan. <laughs> and then I learned... It was one of my foot soldiers. No, 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 no. I mean, this person was saying, like, I wonder if, like, the climate of genocidal hysteria that Megan Murphy single-handedly stirred up... Like, someone actually did say this to me oh, in, in a spirit God. of concern. Um, and then, again, one murder is one murder too many, but unfortunately tragic you know the circumstances of this killing in toronto it happened to be very similar to other killings it was like i don't want to go into the details but it absolutely was not a bunch of people went to a, a debate and you know someone said well i'm convinced by megan murphy's desire to dehumanize trans people so let's go out and find someone to brutal like I, just... I think I remember when that happened and I believe like it was really hard to figure out what had gone down. But as I understood it, it really had nothing to do with the trans no. issue. And it seemed like maybe a drug associated it was, it was, conflict it was a horrible thing. or something like that. Yeah, it was it was a downtown romantic encounter um, oh, right. that after it took place, um one of the two tried to steal drugs. This all came out at trial and, and this is all contested, but, and then there was a fight and it, like it, it had all the horrible, tragic, grubby overtones of, of many random killings like this, where there was drugs involved, there was sex involved, there was poverty involved. There was absolutely no turfiness involved. Um, and, you know, and, but these are, these are hard conversations to have because, lots of people want to believe that there's this like 
very righteous cause they're fighting for. Like everybody wants to be the Oscar Schindler of trans people. Well, you know? and and people are told, and actually this is a, a good point at which we can talk about Adrian Smith and this, oh God, yeah. this session that you wrote about for the you wrote about it for Quillette, but Adrian Smith gave yeah. this like training session to I believe government employees in BC. And and this is something that she said, I think maybe even more than once. She said something like, you know, hundreds of trans people have been killed in Canada. And no, no, you know, no, no. but let's 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 actually but so explain I, what happened there, but maybe before we get so into yeah, that. so this is the ombudsperson's office mm -hmm. in uh, in British Columbia, um, and the staff at the ombudsperson's office, dozens of them, were getting training on uh, transgender inclusion from Adrian Smith. Adrian Smith is a lawyer um, who um, who works works in downtown Vancouver. Adrian identifies as both trans. And, and non-binary. Right, it's uh, confusing. I was trying to figure out today. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah. okay, uses... I'm going with she. I don't understand what's happening well, here. <laughs> so uses they, them pronouns and also has specified in correspondence, Adrian prefers to be referred to as Adrian as opposed to Miss Smith or Smith. So I'm going to call Adrian Adrian because apparently that's what Adrian prefers and I refuse to call people they, them because it sounds stupid. So Adrian gave this presentation and one of the, the staff members at the ombudsperson's office uh, leaked the whole thing to me and it was, it was pretty crazy stuff. Um, but Adrian said at least twice, yeah, there's like hundreds of people, trans people being slaughtered annually, which isn't inaccurate if you, you look at the planet of 7 billion people. However, the mm. context of it would have been taken by a reasonable person to, to suggest that Adrian was talking about Canada. But even then, hundreds, I think, would still be inaccurate because um, I've looked at the numbers and I know that there's... forty or something? 150? <laughs> but, I mean, a lot of it... I mean, like, worldwide? Look... Yeah, I think so. And, and Did I, you I looked... just make that up? No, no, I looked... Well, <laughs> um, I, like, I, I, I've been... I, I think, I think it's about 140, from oh, what I saw. okay. I mean, I think that most of the murders of... And I believe they're mostly trans women or men identifying as stuff. women... It's happening in like Latin America and places that are already quite dangerous and with people who are involved in the sex trade. A lot of it, a lot. I mean, and but that that doesn't make it any less tragic. But yes, no, yeah, no, it is. But it in is, Canada yeah. and America, there are not hundreds of trans That's people being true. killed. It's absolutely right. true. But unfortunately, this goes to this kind of like there's a very lurid, uh, morbid <laughs> aspect to a lot of this rhetoric, um, and that's why. Um, anyway, this article I wrote, if anybody goes to Quillette, um, I, I detail all this training that was given. It's, it's exactly what you'd expect. Like it's, it's pretty over the top. The way I got the audio was a little bit complicated, but Nick, I'm, as, as the story makes, makes clear, Nick was my point of entry into the story. Okay. Um, and but, so was Nick the point, your point of entry into the story because he filed a complaint against Adrian Smith? Is that how you got so, involved? Yes. So the documentary trail here is that Nick was the one who filed uh, a complaint against Adrian with the Law Society of British Columbia. Uh, and then Adrian 
being a lawyer, was forced to self-defend. And then there was this document trail, and I got a hold of those documents through other means. Um, and and then the, the, I sort of pulled the thread, and, and then all the, the recordings and the documents that came out. But what happened at the ombudsperson's office isn't exceptional. Like, there's, there's trainings like that go on all over the place. Um, and, again, and what was the point of the training and why, you know, is this something that's it was all well government employees are subjected so, to? So this was originally well-intentioned because the ombudsperson's office fields complaints from people in British Columbia or employees or prisoners who feel hard done by, by government services. They say, hey, I'm a prisoner, I'm being kept in solitary confinement because I'm black, or... You know, I work for such and such an office and I'm being denied a promotion because I'm a woman. And in some cases, I'm sure they get complaints that say, hey, I'm trans and I'm being mistreated. So it's not unreasonable to say, okay, we're going to give our employees training and like issues related to transgender stuff. However, in, in the case of, of, of this training, anybody who, who knows Vancouver local politics, Adrian is, shall we say, an uncompromising presence when it comes to this issue. So Adrian is best known, perhaps, as one of the people who campaigned against uh, Vancouver Rape Relief, or uh, what's it called, Vancouver... Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter. So one of the people who wanted to successfully lobby to defund from, a, 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 I guess, a city funding source, a rape crisis center on the basis that this rape crisis center refused to hire... A biological man to act as a rape counselor which sounds insane but that's kind of where we are and 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 adrian led the helped lead the charge on that this is the person that they brought into the ombudsperson's office to to give training which is crazy um the, i the other thing i wrote about this issue and again i, I should go soon because i don't think i was making sense when this podcast started and i probably went downhill from there but <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff we did um but i think the height of my lucidity was in disc golf but we are having this conversation at a historical moment a historic moment because twitter has i think it was announced yesterday but maybe this was in the works for the last week or so it is now not against twitter's hateful conduct policy to dead name people or misgender people and I think, and so I read, I saw this via Pink News, and the night that I was permanently suspended from Twitter in November, uh, this was November 23rd, 2018, like maybe an hour after I got this email on a Friday night at like 11 p.m. that I was permanently suspended from Twitter for hateful conduct. They didn't tell me which rule I broke. They just sent me the tweets that I had been shut down for. Um, Pink News published this article saying there was a new policy at Twitter that banned misgendering and deadnaming, and that exact policy has now been overturned. So is the Megan Murphy rule, and now it's the Megan's Revenge rule. Um, right. And I, so I wrote an article for Substack about how the deadnaming rule wasn't just dumb because, you know, Elliot Page was Ellen Page. Like, it's just, it's not... This is part of history. It's 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 there in the credits of the movie, um, but it, it isn't just 
that the Twitter rule is dumb. The whole idea of dead naming is so unnecessarily lurid and and morbid. It's this idea that like, oh, that part of me is dead. That part of me is like this cis. That person is dead. Husk. Yeah, like don't even talk about this person. Like it, it pains me to think that that, uh, you know, soul dead entity was even like walking around in this universe when when really all that all that entity did was block the flourishing of the real me who is now before your eyes who is now veronica veronica or whatever like but it, it it implies but of course that person isn't dead you know that person may have had brothers and sisters and puppies and had a bar mitzvah and you know worked at the local Dairy Queen and had boyfriends and girlfriends. And, and that person is still you. And, and it's still fucking you. Yeah, like, you're just... <laughs> it's like you didn't just appear at a thin air at yeah. 40. Like, yeah. you just and, and didn't. Th and that's the way it sounds. And I sh one of the reasons Shannon Thrace's book is so fantastic is she... The thing that she... She doesn't use the word hate, but I, I don't think it's an inappropriate... The thing that she grew to hate about her husband wasn't so much that he said to Shannon, hey... I like to dress, you know, dress in skirts and, and, you know, have a female name and I consider myself a woman. Like, those were, those, he had gender dysphoria. That's, those were his feelings. But that he insisted that Shannon be complicit in telling literal lies about his past because he reinvent, he fictionalized his past and said, oh, I always knew since I was four years old. And like memories from his past that were like, inconsistent with that like toys that he played with or interactions he 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 falsified it like he created a new kind of history and so even the things about him because they'd been together for a long time but even the things about him that he that she loved she wasn't even allowed to talk about those things because it was like it was no longer part of like the official narrative and the official narrative was that he was like sort of like you know a dylan mulvaney type like from the time he was a kid and it was like, who wants to be married to somebody who your your current relationship is shit, but you're also not even allowed to talk about the times when like you had good sex and loved each other and, and had a good time because, you know, that was a dead, that was literally a dead person who you were, that person you had good sex with, that, that person's dead, you know, in, <laughs> instead it's me like who how yeah and that's the person that she fell in love with so she fell in love with this man she's a widow. and she's had a, widow. a like beautiful life like they had a good relationship yeah. until he went through this trans transformation and and she, yeah and she's supposed to discard all of but that that's, this goes back full circle to our conversation about how why women are more vulnerable to this than than men because the book is painful to read because you're yeah. reading it and for half the book you're saying like shannon like yeah you, you're putting up with this she was going along with so i really like shannon i'm not i'm not trying to diss her but when i was reading it i was it's like maddening lord why yeah. why are you being so accommodating like so much of that stuff if my partner said that to me i'd be like no <laughs> no like and, yeah and 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 going with with him to all these like support groups which were like these indescribably sad meetups and 
and participating and were, in all these like sex things that weren't enjoyable or sexy to her. Well, he was always crying. He was always, yeah, were, and then being so yeah, being so accommodating and nice about his constant emotional breakdowns and his narcissism and his selfishness. Men are the worst. Well, men not all men are like this guy. Mm, a lot are. <laughs> you're always breaking down crying yeah well yeah. you refuse to go to work you refuse to do any chores i'm not beautiful enough it's it's a constant struggle um uh, megan i have to go okay uh, yeah sorry i've kept you really late and no, we started no, no, late, no, no. but um thanks for your quickly. thoughts on a wide variety of things i really appreciate it um i mean I guess is there before you go is there anything more that you wanted to talk about with regard to the Adrian Smith story or So I I mean I guess I'll just uh do the usual thing and and tell people if if you go to Quillette and um god I think the title is um a civil servant spoke up for women's I have rights it open here It's um it's a a public servant stood up for sex-based rights at a gender workshop and paid the price. And I'll just briefly explain that. Yeah. So Adrian Smith came in to do this like trans indoctrination workshop at the yeah. BC <laughs> Ombudsman. Um, Ombudsperson. Holy shit. Oh my God. You just used such a sexist word. Omnis oh, Yeah. You do feminism See, I'm wrong. I'm not a feminist. You do it wrong. <laughs> really wrong. Ombudsperson. Um, and and this guy nick asked what was like a pretty polite question that was essentially as i understand it around the erasure of the word woman from like woman-centered language sort of like i think he was sort of referring to this attempt to replace woman with person and people and all of that and adrian was appalled and quite rude to him and uh, sort of said what he was saying was um, akin to racism. And... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, she, uh, sorry, not she, Adrian, likened him to the sort of woman, white woman who won't share a bathroom with a black woman because she thinks all black women have syphilis. That yeah. was the analogy that was presented. If people go to the article, um, they can actually hear Nick ask the question, which was, by the way, super polite. And he was like, thank you. This was great. This, I'm, but I just have like a question about, you know, biological sex and stuff. So um, your your viewers can can hear Nick asking the question and hear what Adrian's response is. I also there was another snippet of video uh, of audio that I put in there from the presentation. And again, I don't want to present this as unique. I'm sure this is going on, especially government agencies, universities. Um, but we need more people like Nick who, who speak up uh, because Nick was the one of the only people in the room who had the guts, you know, because that's that's what we men do, Megan. We're yep, heroes. you've got the guts. We're heroes, um, <laughs> you know, whether in the UFC ring or at the ombudsperson's office. Well, no, but I, I mean, think, but as a result of Nick asking this very polite question, and he talked about, he was like, you know, there's a lot of women in my life who have concerns about this, and and Adrian was very rude, uh, compared him to a racist, and said. I, in response, I think, to his complaint that he had spoken in a dangerous and dehumanizing manner, which is not true, and had, and said that he made comments that implied that trans people aren't valid. Um, and 
um, had been engaged in a search for authorization to discriminate against people who identify with a gender that's not their assigned sex, which is profoundly transphobic. So she, after all this, accused him of all sorts of other stuff. But he didn't he leave his job or, or something Even, happened? Nick eventually left the job. Um, but I should say a lot of those quotes you just read came from Smith's after-the-fact uh, justifications which were contained in documentation responding to Nick's complaint to the Law Society of British Columbia. Mm. But if you look at the rhetoric Smith used at the presentation, the rhetoric contained there, and also the rhetoric Smith, I, I've actually seen Smith is very dramatic, and there's one YouTube video that I embedded on stage where uh, Smith is obviously like, or Adrian is a very tortured, lonely person. It's, it's just, it's clear in some of the stage performances. I wasn't uh, smiling at that. I was smiling because I watched that. Well, I, she was reading a poem, I think. Yeah, because she, she's a poet of some type, and the, the poem, poem is excruciating. It's like, it's like bad breakup poetry, but with the whole sort of LGBT angle. It's, I'm, not, I'm not laughing at it, but it's, this is obviously a very sad, lonely, angry person who's making everyone else sad and lonely and angry with, with this ridiculous activism. Mm -hmm. But the th constant theme is this paranoid idea that like trans people are being exterminated everywhere. And it's in the audio that I embedded in the article where it's like, uh, Smith says, you know, you know, every day, 24 hours a day, all the time, you know, we're being assaulted. We're being, people are asking us what's in our pants. What do our genitals look like? It's this constant struggle. It's, uh, we're being hacked to death. We're being, we're under siege. Our human rights, we're being invalidated. Like, it's this just apocalyptic vision of what life is like for, which to be honest, like even turfs like us, we don't, this is, this is an unrecognizable world. Like I go to board game tournaments. There's plenty of trans people. Um, I've had trans people on the podcast. I didn't exterminate any of them. Uh, like. It's just not how things go. I mean, you, there's. When you went when you did your speech in Toronto, I guess it was 2019, mm -hmm. and there was that big protest in front of the library, like there were, I don't know, there was a couple of hundred people there, dozens of them. Must the have cops been said that that they thought there were 700 people at that protest. So, so a, a couple of hundred, or at least a couple of dozen, must have been trans. I think it's wonderful that trans people can have a political demonstration in Toronto and. They obviously felt it was safe enough to have the demonstration, and there's, I think, I think, I think everybody should have free speech. I think you should <laughs> obviously you did give your presentation, and I think that's great. But we live in a country where it's ludicrous to suppose that trans people or gay people, Jewish people, anybody can't, you know, assert their rights politically and and demonstrate on the streets as as they did. Like if it were really true that. That, that, like well, that, that trans people don't have rights. Like, it's just not true that trans people yeah. don't have rights. It's just trans people have the same rights that everybody else has. If So if I would urge people to, to read the article, not just because I love when people read my stuff, which I do, um, but because that audio will give people a sense of like this really puritanical rhetoric. Because I think you were talking before about why maybe you had become disenchanted with, with feminism, like the sort of witch hunting really shrill 
Like you're not with us, so you're bad, right? Not like, oh, well, we disagree with you, but like, oh, well, she she talked to the wrong person. She stood next to the wrong person. She's challenged something that we don't want to be challenged. She took a position that we don't like. So now she's really, she's bad and we don't like her and she's not with us. Wow, it's scary how how that just came off your tongue like that because <laughs> <laughs> like almost like you've said these yeah it's like what you're you know it's like you're one of these gang members who goes into schools to teach people not to be in gangs um so... <laughs> no, stay out of feminism it'll happen to you <laughs> <laughs> um well uh thank you for having me on that so, was yeah fun. thank you so much i know it's really late your time so i appreciate all this really like valuable information about disc golf and baseball Yes, and all that other stuff. <laughs> all right, talk, talk soon. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. This allows you access to special content, early access to episodes, and the opportunity to submit questions to future interviewees ahead of time. You can also DM me personally with questions on Patreon, and I will answer. You can also follow and support my work on Substack. That's meganmurphy.substack.com. Or you can support this podcast directly on Spotify by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. I produce and host this podcast all by myself and rely entirely on individual donors like you to sustain my work. This is all me and you, the listener. You can also support me on my website, meganmurphy.ca, where you can donate any amount you like from $5 to $20 to $100 or more or less. It all counts. Thank you so much for supporting conversations outside the algorithm.